bank of two things in times of crisis. You have to embrace and hug and love your customers and do the same with your team. And I think certainly also in this crisis, that's number one. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. All right, Sangram here. Welcome to LinkedIn Live. I think this time we're doing LinkedIn, Facebook, and I think there's one more here on YouTube. It's live on all three. So clearly, wherever you're watching it, this is another. Just give us a thumbs up so we know. If you have some questions to talk about, this is all about how you lead in uncertain times. And I'm just trying to get experts. I'm not the expert. I haven't really gone through something like that. Uh, and most people have not, but they have gone through different levels of it. So I wanted to bring a business leader who has run companies, who's running a phenomenal company. This is go to Able, good friend of mine now, and he is the CEO of G2. But he have also run big organizations before that. They went through acquisition of Salesforce, has been part of that organization. So I'll let him share more about it. Uh, but he has gone through a couple of really big crises in the industry in the last 10 years. So we want to talk about three major areas. And again, just give us a thumbs up if you can hear. And if you have questions, just pop into it. I'll ask, um, ask that those questions to go to. But we want to together touch on three main topics. Number one, how do you lead individually? How do you lead as a family? Because a lot of people are not working from home with both kids. Uh, the kids are working from home. That's what's happening in our place. And then how do you lead your team in these kind of uncertain times? So, Gordon, welcome to the live session to go through these things. Hi, Sangram. Great to be here with you. Awesome, Matt. Well, uh, let's start with a fun fact about yourself. And love for you to share a little bit about your role, not just at G2, but like prior, just to history, because you've gone through so many big companies and organizational changes. I guess fun fact about me, um, we do have identical twins. Ah, cool. We're now 15 years old. And uh, I think, you know, like any identical twins, you can't really tell them apart. So cool. I think uh, they do love to prank their teachers and friends. Are they, and how are they just like, are they also act the same way? Like, in, in, yeah, or you could just like, based on the, the way they say something or do something, you know who that person is. Well, it's funny. I mean, to me and my wife, and they have one sister, you know, with three kids. I mean, I think they're very different, but I think to the average person, like, if you met them, yeah. Apart, so, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right. So to share a little bit about your current, like obviously you're the CEO of G2, just share your scale of your organization, how big your organization is, uh, the team, the number of customers. You guys are obviously rocking it in the tech space, uh, but also then get into the couple of prices that you have gone through before as an industry and how you kind of led through those. Yeah, in G2 today, we have, you know, over 350, close to 400 employees around the world. And I'm coming to you now from my home office in Palo Alto, because like everyone else, I think we're offices are shut down, but we have an office here in San Francisco, Chicago. In the past year, we're international. So now we also have a team in London, Singapore, Bangalore, as well as a partnership in Tokyo and Japan. And uh, so it's a global organization, right about 50 million in revenue run rate right now. And so we've, you know, and it's been fun. A couple of years ago, we probably only had 150 people. So it's really been, I've been growing. That is fantastic. 
and share a little bit about the companies prior to G2 that you were part of and what were some of those incredible challenges of the last decade or so that you have gone through, especially obviously 9-11 and the, the 2008 and how did you lead that? Yeah, and I think Sanger, I, I started like you, I was a young entrepreneur. <laughs> but uh, that was better than I am. But thank yeah. you for the compliment. Especially, but, you know, I first first got involved in building companies way back in 1998. Yeah, and I was coming here out of Stanford Business School in California, and that was a dot com boom. And then I started my first company right in 2000, Big Machines. And uh, you know, eventually the company was very successful. It was acquired by Oracle in 2013 for almost 14 400 million dollars. But it was a really long, tough journey, and we did live through two big crises. First, there was a huge dot-com bubble burst, and then subsequently 9-11. And really, that was the toughest crisis I've lived through by far, because it really lasted probably about three years from 2000 all the way to 2003. And it was really a nuclear winter in tech, and my company almost died. And that's probably when I learned the most about leading in a severe economic crisis. And uh, But after that, we built another company, Steelbrick, starting in 2014, partnered with Max Rudman. Who was the CTO founder? But you know, in less than two years, we scaled that uh, to being acquired by Salesforce. Uh, you know, we scaled it from almost really just a founder to 200 people in seven quarters, and led to an acquisition by Salesforce, almost for almost about 400 million dollars. And I did spend over a year in Salesforce and Mark Benioff's extended leadership team. Yeah, and so got to learn a lot about how Mark leads. You know, really obviously incredible leader at all times, and he has led Salesforce also through a couple of crises. And which he's talked about a lot because he lived through that same dot-com bubble. And he also lived through the 0809 financial crisis after the mortgage bubble burst, you know, also a severe depression. And so, you know, and really both of those I led at big machines, but I did also see how Mark Benioff and Salesforce were always his partner, how he led through those crises. And now, you know, G2 really, uh, we started back in 2012. And, uh, you know, then I went off to build Steelbrick, but my co-founders kept building it. And I really came back here as a CEO in 2017. And when I first came back, we went more into hyper growth or blitz scaling mode, you know, raised $100 million, some great investors, Excel, IVP. So we had a couple of years of just grow, grow, grow. The two acquisitions went global. But now, obviously, and I think fortunately for us, we decided towards the end of last year to shift towards what we called smart growth. Yeah. You know, because we just felt like regardless of the economy, we need some time to digest all our new acquisitions, all our new products. But now I'm also, I think I'm fortunate. I believe we have a great team, a great global committed team. And I think now we are facing a crisis. And I think it's the first crisis like this. I think most of us have seen probably since 08, 09, you know, yeah. the stock markets. I haven't looked, but it seems like they're down 40, almost 50%. I stopped looking. And, uh, yeah. And so that was, I think, 08, 09, you know, it was probably similar. Obviously, I hope the world, both from a health standpoint, Obviously, many people are sick, so I hope we get past this virus soon, and also when the economy starts to come back. You know, so we don't know how long this crisis is going to be, but I do think as a leader, there's a lot to learn, you know, from prior crises, and uh, so I'm also looking forward to sharing what we've learned so far. Yeah, it, thank you for giving that background. I think that that's one thing I wanted. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you is because one, you have built several companies. You have been with Oracle and Salesforce. You've started this incredibly amazing company, G2, co-founded and then now coming back as a CEO. And all of them seems to be like this hyper-growth, really fast-growing organization. And both of the other last two companies went through this weird spot of like, you know, dot-com burst as well as the 2008. You almost said, you said that one of your companies, the first company, that almost like the company was crashed, like was dying. And... What was it like? You know, what happened? And 
How would you compare that time of your leadership and the tools and technology and everything that's available today versus at that time? And how did you lead during that time? What are the lessons for you? Yeah, and I think obviously what is better today is you know all the web technology and the way we're able to meet. I think back then we did have WebEx. Yeah, but I do remember after nine eleven, it was a similar time. I was actually on a sales call out in uh, Delaware. We were visiting Dupont at their headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware, and I remember nine eleven happened. But actually, that day we were there to do a big sales pitch for my first company, Big Machines at Dupont. Wow! And then you know we're sitting that morning in the hotel lobby, about five of us. We were actually partnering with Accenture going to do this big pitch, and then we're watching over breakfast and all of a sudden you see the airplanes hit the towers and like holy shit what the hell's going on and yeah by that afternoon wilmington delaware went on emergency lockdown and all the airports shut down all of a sudden all of a sudden we were stuck in delaware mm. and uh you know it was like holy shit what do we do and and frankly i was living in california we had an office a lot of our teams from chicago and frankly luckily we still had a rental car mm. and airports were shut down so we just started driving back know, to uh, Chicago. And that was a pretty surreal time. But then I remember we were kind of on lockdown you know, globally for a couple of weeks. And back then, we didn't have all this amazing technology. So for our team, it did shut down our work a lot more. You know, So I think we are all fortunate, at least in tech, that we are still able to do our work via Zoom. Um, so that's certainly gotten better. But I think and what was harder then, and we'll see now, I mean, that recession in tech lasted two or three years. Yeah. And even I remember Amazon at that time, everyone was saying, when's Jeff Bezos going bankrupt? You know, there's a big story. They were just looked at as kind of as a credit risk. And really, the whole internet economy had been written off. And that was also really hard for me because obviously DuPont, that deal, obviously they delayed. You know, Because maybe like a lot of companies today, first companies just say pause. You know, they're like, hey, new initiatives, let's just wait. Because until the economy settles, you know, everyone's facing their own economic crisis. So no one wants to commit to new projects. And that's obviously very hard on us startups. We're selling innovative solutions. We're trying to encourage companies to do new things that we know will help them, but it's a new thing. And those are always harder to sell in a crisis. And what made that one really hard is it did last two or three years because the big manufacturers, we call them, we call companies like Caterpillar. Yeah. Like, hey, your technology is really interesting. But frankly, someone would say, hey, the internet was a fad. And we're sort of glad the internet's over. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, when are you going bankrupt? You know, we're perfectly happy with the software we have that we're shipping on CD-ROM. And uh, so good luck to you. But, uh, you know, we're... Uh, we're not buying from you. And, and we had about two or three years of that. And at that time, I did have to. And that was the most painful experience I've had as an entrepreneur. I had to scale my team down from 70 to 20 people. And, uh, and frankly, we didn't do it at once. You know, as people say in hindsight, oh, you wish you'd done it at once. But frankly, you don't know. Yeah. You know? And, and frankly, as an entrepreneur, you maintain optimism. And maybe in hindsight, I had too much optimism. But it took us two or three steps. And the final one we took in 2003. And that was the most desperate situation. Because we were down to about a million dollars in cash. We burned through over 20 million venture capital. But my co-founder, Chris Schutz, and I, he's my best friend from MIT, we just decided to hunker down and go to organic growth mode. So we did cut it down to the point where you know, we could almost get profitable just from our existing customers. And we said, hey, in a year or two, we should be able to get profitable and never have to raise money again. And that was really our only choice. Yeah. Because also VCs, our, our numbers didn't look good. And they're all been scared by the dot-com burst. So it was, it was a really hard time. But I think what I really learned then, what it did work, and the reason my co-founder Chris and I said keep going, we had some great customers, mm. and uh, and we did they did add up to over a million ARR, and you know plus some projects we did for them could almost fund our business with twenty people. We had about two million in costs, so we could almost get to break even just on our existing customers, and that was the one reason we did survive. Right, we just focused one hundred percent on the ten plus manufacturers, the visionary customers. I particularly remember Jake Caraviello 
from SPX. He was one of our, he'd been a GE executive. And at that time, GE was you know, still the global leader. And he had the vision. And so we had those early visionary customers like Jay that stuck with us. And we just focused 100% of our energy. It's developed our product for them. We made it work for them. We turned them on great references and they kept paying us. Yeah. We did a SaaS model. And that base of recurring revenue is what got us through. And then luckily, we, you know, we were around long enough that those manufacturers that in 2001 said, hey, the internet's over. You know, by 2007, they started seeing, oh, wow, you know, the cloud, the internet, it is a really valuable tool. And we had the good fortune at that time, we partnered with Mark Benioff, uh, you know, the founder, CEO of Salesforce. And he really more than anyone convinced the world that on demand and cloud were real. We've partnered with them. We became a leading CPQ partner. And then we did have tremendous growth from there, all organic. In 08, 09, that next crisis, you know, we were very lucky, as was Salesforce. And Mark Benioff today talks about that, that in 08, 09, he actually wishes he just hired more people. Yeah. Because so much talent becomes available in a crisis. And he had the good fortune. Obviously, he had a great product. Cloud CRM got really popular. More and more businesses kept buying. And during a crisis, also what companies realized was it was better than big capital investments. Mm. It was better than buying Siebel and spending millions. Hey, just, you know, subscribe in the cloud. That was still new. In big yeah. machines, we had that same model. So we were able to grow. And 0809 was very different for us. I was also very scared. You know, at first, I'm like, hey, you know, when the mortgage crisis hit, stock markets crashed. First, I'm like, is this going to be like 0102? Right. You know, but what we saw then is, you know, companies did keep buying. And we were able to grow. And that was actually been very beneficial because just like Salesforce, we were able to hire better talent at lower cost. Offices were almost free. I do remember in 08, 09, I was able to get our California office was in San Mateo. Yeah. Like, you know, fully furnished, beautiful lease, top floor, amazing views. It was like, you know, buck 70 a month. And, <laughs> uh, so almost free. And so I do think if you can weather these kinds of crises, if you can grow, then you can really benefit. But I've kind of seen both. You know, one, I had to go into survival mode and barely survive and focus on customers. And the other key thing is focus on the team, you know, your core team. And we had a very tight-knit group. Like I said, my co-founder and I from MIT, we were best friends. So we we had a very tight team yeah. that would stick together, right? And they still believed in us through the crisis. And so those are really, I think, the two things in times of crisis. You have to embrace and hug and love your customers and do the same with your team. And I think certainly also in this crisis, that's number one. And, you know, you may be seeing this at Terminus, but I think for any company, it's easier to keep your existing customers that are already spending with you. Yeah. Be very close to them. Make sure they love you. Make sure they feel your love because they're the ones they will keep paying the bills, especially those of us. I think we're all lucky to be in B2B, frankly. <laughs> I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Horror stories. Some consumer companies, obviously, I heard of one company and they sell portfolio. They do uh, ticketing, you know, event ticketing. And obviously, some of the consumer businesses are literally going to zero, at least temporarily. Right. And so I think we all have the good fortune in B2B. We can embrace our customers. We have subscription customers. And I think if they're happy, they'll keep spending. And that gives us the baseline. And yeah. We can grow with those customers. And obviously, new customer acquisition, I think, for some time will be harder, you know, because companies are all going to look harder at any new light item and spend. Right. Uh, but I think if we really love our existing customers, and the same thing I said about the team, you know, if we really embrace our high performing team members, because all their families are in crises. You know, I think there's so much fear now, the whole world. Some of their families may even be affected by the virus. And so I think also embracing our teams. And at G2 now, we talk about our peak culture. Yes. And you and I have talked about that, but especially in time of crisis, staying true to your culture. And, you know, the K and peak is for kindness. But that also, you know, we do maintain a heart and that our customers feel our kindness, feel our compassion. Our team feels that. 
I yeah. think that's really what, you know, I think in any crisis is the, is the key to, to getting through it. Totally, man. I love that. I made so many notes on just this part, which what comes through directly from you is the idea of team and customers. With the team, give as much love as you can possibly for them. And then for your team, the same thing, just pour into it. What are your tips? Because a lot of companies don't know, and, and we are learning as well. And that's one of the reasons I'm not doing just ABM LinkedIn Live. I'm doing like a fitness LinkedIn Live in two days. Like, how do you really fit at home? I'm doing the business like with you. Uh, next Tuesday, we're going to have Patrick Lencioni and talking about how do you lead in this? Like, because he obviously advises a lot of different people. So I'm just changing my whole marketing strategy of like, how do we be more empathetic and talk about the real problems that people are facing? And then if you're doing the right thing with our, with our teams as well as our, our customers, then, and if we have the right capital structure for our business, then we could wither to it. And Scott Dorsey just put out there something that I love. He said, if you can survive this, you can thrive. Like survive for the next two, three months and get through this. You buckle it down and, and know that you can do it. And then you can thrive because that's what leadership is all about. What are some of the things that you are doing at an organization that has 400 people plus, 50 million revenue, so many different locations, like you probably are already good at remote communication and things like that. But as you look at organizations that are jumping into it, what would be like maybe one or two things you would say for, for leaders on the teams to start thinking and doing more so than they would have ever done? And then I want to get into like personal, how do you, how do you think about from a personal perspective? How do you, how do you balance that? Yeah, you know, and I think that's a great point from Scott Dorsey, you know, from Exact Target. And he led through those same crises. I remember he actually started, he and I have talked about it. You know, he started Exact Target about when he started Big Machines way back in 2000. And so he also weathered those crises. And obviously, Exact Target especially survived and thrived. Yes. Through 08, 09. And, but I would say as a leader, I think the number one thing, you know, to do is I think to become more visible. Mm. And now it's via Zoom. And at first, I thought that was a disadvantage. It's actually an advantage, yeah. you know, because now and and I'm also using FaceTime to talk to my team. If I'm talking one on one, I use FaceTime. Yeah, I use Zoom, but I, you can pick up now and talk to anyone in the world. And yeah. so, frankly, I'm working on showing up for more meetings. You know, I don't always go to our sales forecast call, but yeah. now I'll do that call. And I'm jumping more into Confluence. You know, and I think we are lucky today. We have all these digital working tools, but I think right. in our team is just accelerating it. You know, we're using Confluence more, we're using Zoom more, we're using Slack more, email more. But I think as a leader, you want to dial up your energy. And in some ways, I do think as a leader, the crisis can be energizing. You know, because all of a sudden, I think in the good times, you can kind of waffle, think about things for a long time. But now it's more, hey, lead from the front, act. And, but I think be very visible, be very present with your team because they want to feel that. They want to feel like you're more engaged, that you're there, you know, in battle with them, leading from the front lines. And I think that's another one thing I'm trying to do this week is really just turn up my own energy. And really be there more and more for the team, have them all feel me. And I see the same thing with the customers. Mm. And, uh, and so I think that's number one is really lead from the front and show the team that you're more engaged than ever, that you're bringing more energy and that you're moving forward. And because uh, I think that's what everyone wants to see is that their leaders are taking them forward you know, in yeah. the midst of crisis. I love that. I'm now, it's what's interesting, and I'm seeing this people doing on, um, on their Zoom calls like, hey, happy hour this afternoon or bring your pet or a family member, like a kid or something like that. And, and just 20 minutes, just talk about families. I think in many ways, Godard, and I may be completely off here. I feel like it's building a new muscle right now for everybody to think about work and life being not trying to balance, but actually embrace. 
right? I feel like now more than ever, it is perfectly okay if my daughter totally walks in over here and I pick her up and show you, right? And say, like, it's perfectly okay. You wouldn't get offended. Nobody would get like, hey, why is not this person on business? Like, people expect you to be you. And I think if people can, can look up like, well, let's just have more. Uh, we, I had two days ago, I had uh, uh, the co-founder of Belay, uh, Brian Miles, and he wrote a book on virtual culture because their company is 100%, 100% virtual. And they won multiple awards from Inc. and all that stuff for many years. So all of a sudden, he's, in like, he's like the expert because that's how their company actually did uh, with more yeah. talent and boys or so. And he shared something is like, Culture is not formed in an office space in between the walls. Culture is actually having a shared vision that everybody just follows through on. And when I heard that, I realized that, oh my goodness, yes, like I think I need to like dial up. We need to dial up like we were having conversation. We need to dial up just talking about why we're doing what we're doing and just embrace this a lot more because once we get out of it, we would know so much about each other, their lives, their pets, their families that, that we probably wouldn't have known if we were just working in an office space. Do you feel like that? It actually is for, like weirdly for unfortunate circumstances, but from a work perspective, this might be better if you can embrace this and work through it. Yeah, and no, I think you're right, Singham, because it is bringing each other into each other's homes. Yeah. I remember we just had our sales forecast call and Brian Proof, he's our VP of commercial sales in Chicago, but he had, you know, his baby girl on his lap and she was making cute baby sounds. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, like, did you meet a, miss a number? Like, yeah, like, look at my baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it does. Uh, I think it does bring that opportunity to kind of bring work into the home and bring our families and pets uh, into it. And I think one other thing we're doing more of is bringing conscious leadership into it. So I've also had our conscious leadership coach, Sue Heilbronner. She's now joining my leadership calls. Wow. Our sales leadership calls was our, our management leadership call. And one of the things she has us do is do a conscious check-in. Mm. It's always a bit different, but also sharing our true emotions, our feelings, and really bringing us present. But also, I think, bringing out our vulnerabilities. So we're not just talking about the business, yeah. but we're talking about how are we feeling. You know, talking about the fear we're feeling and yeah. whatever other emotion we may have. And I think so also trying to bring the emotion and the feeling side more into it. And, uh, and I think the conscious leadership is really a great way to do that. I love that. Now, so I want to summarize the top three takeaways over here. And then I want you to share a challenge with everybody, Goddard, as they're thinking about their personal life as well as team life and the leadership and how to show up. Like, I, I think there's so much there. So just a challenge that everybody can pick up today. So a couple of takeaways for me from this conversation. Number one, you talked about this idea of like right now might be if you're a business leader and if you're an organization, right now might be the best time for you to focus on your team and your existing customers more than you've ever done. So do that thousand percent more. I should like in your words, be more visible to them. Like get in, if you're in Slack, don't don't hide behind Slack. Go pick up the phone, call them, talk to them. Do Zoom more. Make sure the videos are on, not off. Make sure that it's unmuted so people are okay. And it let people know it's okay to have distractions. It's okay to have your family around. It's okay if things because we're figuring this out together. So I love your word around like be visible. That's a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, I think hopefully everybody takes away from that. You also mentioned about this idea that in your last couple of companies, a couple of times, or at least one time, your company almost was was dying and you have to scale back from 70 to about 20 people and you hunkered down on all that thing. 
I hope that uh, that doesn't happen to a lot of organizations. But in the next three months, if you really follow through this idea of like survive and then thrive mentality, just get everybody in that expectations mode is like, hey, look, this is a survival mode. So just be more visible, be more more frugal around certain things and just know that whoever can survive through is going to thrive three months from now more so than ever. And the last part that you and I talked about around this, that embracing all of this, I love that you're bringing a coach into your leadership meeting at this really moment where people can be more vulnerable. Um, so if you can get a coach, you be the coach, right? You be the person to start off with sharing like, hey, look, I had a really slow day. Like I'm hearing from extroverts like myself we're struggling because we love being around people and talking and being in the coffee stuff. So we struggle. Introverts, they're thriving right now. They're like, this is the best job for life because we can just be on Slack. And so, so I think there's different dynamics getting played in right now. So I'm actually doing LinkedIn Live to keep myself being part of the community as opposed to being on a, uh, on a stage or speaking or being in customer offices. So everybody's different. And, and if you can get them to share and you might be the first person I have to start, like what, what are you not comfortable with and are still running and doing? I think people are so forgiving right now for like grace is like the most important thing that you can have for each other. So I feel like the visibility part, the idea of team and customers focusing on them and the know that like right now, if you can survive, you can thrive later are the three big takeaways. What is the one challenge you want to share with everybody? I think the challenge is how do you take care of yourself through crisis? Yeah. And when I look back, frankly, what I did wrong or what I wish I'd done differently in 02 and 03 and 08 and 09 is like I didn't take great care of myself. And, you know, in terms of physically and mentally and spiritually, because I think as an entrepreneur also, it does put tremendous strain on you. You know, I think that I remember my company felt like a storm cloud in my forehead during those times. I just had so much anxiety. And so much fear. And I remember my first company, also my father was my first investor. And wow. I was just consumed by a lot of fear. I'm going to lose my dad's money and all these people that bet on me. So many of my employees were my good friends from college. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to screw all of them. And I look at my customers. So it can feel like the weight of the world is crushing you. And, um, and I think what I only learned probably about 10 years into being an entrepreneur, that's when I joined YPO and I met these conscious leadership coaches. And, you know, ever since then, I've worked on, and part of it is, and I think I also started meeting with a presencing exercise, mm. breathing, and just getting present, getting conscious, and, and then also being aware of your feelings. And I think your body can tell you a lot. You know, are you feeling a twinge in your neck? Are you feeling pain in your back? Are you feeling that storm cloud? And just feeling it and bringing it aware, being aware of it, and, hey, what's that trying to tell me? And, and then I think having practices... And today, and frankly, right before our call, it might still look a bit wet, but I you know, had a good treadmill session. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky, you know, I'm a Peloton subscriber, so I did a good 45-minute interval workout. Nice. That's probably the biggest thing now in terms of taking care of myself that I have done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Because no matter what, I, I work out once a day. And after that, I do some stretching and breathing. You could call yoga-like exercises. So I spend an hour just on physical self-care. Mm. And I do think that gives me then the foundation to, you know, clears my head, clears that anxiety. Yeah. And then allows me to, to breathe and to be a better leader, to be more connected when I'm back at work and be connected with my family. And that's probably the biggest challenge I would also give everyone is, hey, yes, it's a crisis. And yes, you feel like you should be working all the time to make sure your company survives and thrives. But if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be in the best position to do that. And, uh, and I think that can even be dangerous. We talk about depression and, and all of that that can happen to us as entrepreneurs. So I would say that's number one. Hey, the challenge is while you're managing through this, 
make sure you take care of yourself. And maybe that's one advantage we do now have. You, know, you probably have a little bit more time because we're not spending time commuting. We're not spending time right. traveling. And so take that extra hour a day and, and use it to take care of yourself, whether that's meditation and exercise, playing music, you know, whatever gives you that, that Zen feeling. You do it. I, I love that. I love, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was a key part of our conversation uh, that didn't come up as much. Take care of yourself. And that's when you can actually take care of your family and uh, everybody on the team and customers. Godard, thank you so much, man. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you jumping on so quickly because time is now for people to realize it's not doomsday. We can come through it together. So thank you for being a ray of hope for that. No, thank you, Sangram. And I, I do think we'll all survive this together. And, and I'm sure uh, we will. The world will get back to thriving. But obviously, in the meantime, my heart goes out to everyone that's, that's really suffering through this. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.